<laughs> well, that's the first time our fire alarms went on. I don't know if that bodes any different for this year than last year. Last year, if you remember, I had 2020 vision up here. We, we, we didn't even make it into February before we got that shot in the leg, badly wounded on the 2020 vision thing. And so I'm not going to put the vision up here this year. We're going to let God handle the vision. Um, you know, it says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that they may run who reads it. The vision is yet for appointed time. So the vision is yet for appointed time. We did get a lot done that we wanted to accomplish last year in our, in our fellowship as far as we, we got our building paid down substantially. And um, I, I couldn't tell you what the exact number is, what's left on that, but we worked well on that. We did, we were able to support our missionaries that are out there on the, to the far corners of the earth. We weren't able to go see them, but we were able to support them financially by sending them finances. We were able to help with Pastor Elias' wife, um, send some finances there to help with her, Pastor Jess Well, and the ministry he's doing with his seminary and what's going on there. And uh, anyway, we had a lot of positives. We got our playground built. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, uh, Vince, for your heavy lifting. We got heavy stuff to limp. We use Vince, but right now he's down in the back, so don't hug him too much today. Um, and I want to pray for you before the service is over, Vince. Make sure you come up and let's, uh, let's pray for your back and everything. And uh, I think we're going to do the catechism again this year, or maybe Jed mentioned that. Um, we're going to do Operation World again this year. We keep doing that. I know we hit some of the same countries because of the way the weeks fall and that sort of thing. But I think it's really good for our fellowship to keep our eye on the long-term goal of to the ends of the earth. So we're, we're this, you know, I mean, I know we, we talked about this over the last couple of weeks there about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I talked to um, Joel this morning. He said, why is Samaria has Lima? He recognized Lima right off. I showed him the picture. He goes, are we your enemies? No, Joel, you're not our enemies. But uh, anyway, he's, he lives there in Lima. And uh, anyhow, um, it's just the, the, just trying to help us keep this bigger focus of what's important. So in this new year, uh, we're still not clear where we're at as far as at the federal level, what we're going to do. We'll know on the 6th. It'll get better or it'll get worse, or it'll be the same. Maybe it won't matter. But I know when there's political instabilities, you know, did you know that Peru has had three or four presidents this year? And they can keep kicking them out because they have a Congress that works uh, in such a way that if the if there's an opposing part of Congress, they have about a three-part Congress. They're kind of a socialist democracy, and they got a three-part Congress. And if one of them's big enough and they don't like the guy that was voted president, well, they can just vote the guy out in the Congress. And so they've had a lot of rioting and revolting. Chile um, is looking to have a communist, um, one of their main guys in, in, in the lead of the new president is a communist. It's a bad, it's a bad thing. So though we have problems in our, in our government, and we, we, those things cause us to fret sometimes, we shouldn't fear, we shouldn't mourn like those who have no hope. We tend to do that. We, we tend to do that. We think that uh, how the world goes, how the U.S. goes is how the world goes, but we're one country in the midst of, uh, in, of the world. And so it is great that our country has been so blessed financially that we've been able to, man, this little fellowship, how how blessed this fellowship has been financially to be able to support so many missionaries, our country as a whole to support so many missionaries, to send so many people out. But you know, the world, um, has, been, the world has benefited from the United States in sending out missionaries, but maybe the, maybe the United States has suffered because we've sent our best and brightest out and we've neglected to reach the, our neighbors and the people right around us. Um, so maybe that's what's going on. I'm not, I'm not speaking for God in this, 
but the doors to international missions right now have been closed as far as traveling. So what we should do is exactly what Jed said, is we should refocus and see, well, what should I be doing right here? We're missing, we may be missing a great opportunity. I know we're missing a great opportunity, and uh, we're going to talk about this morning. I got three things to remember for 2021. Though there's crazy things going on in the world and tragic things going on in the world, we see it closer in the United States because it, it affects us more. Um, uh, the happenstances of things that affects our happiness, and that's, uh, um, I was listening to Herb Hodges. You want to find a good guy, you can find a guy named Herb Hodges. Look for him on YouTube. Um, he's dead now. Great speaker, great ideas. He's right. That's all I can tell you. I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm saying he's right. And one thing I learned from him was the word happy, happiness, happenstance. It all comes from this root word hap, perhaps, happening, happenstance. The happenstances affect our happiness. Your joy is different than your happiness. And so many of us, our happiness is tied directly to the things that we see around us and how they affect us personally, and it messes us up because it's very unbiblical to allow your happiness to be affected by your happenstance. That wasn't all from Herb, but I got the word hat from Herb anyway. But the point is, is that so many of us are just living in this unhappy realm or this depressing realm because we're worried about the things that happen to us. We're concerned about our hap, and we need to be concerned about our joy. So in this new year, the Bible is going to prove to us, I hope to prove to you this morning, that we have the cure for the illness that plagues the world. It's all in God's word. It's already been taken care of, but particularly for those that are in Christ Jesus and for those that are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So on dwelling on this, I've been really thinking about this for a while. I got these three kind of large scriptures or different entities of scripture placed throughout God's word that have really uh, spoken to me here in the last couple weeks anyway, months, and I've been reading on it more and more. And these are the three things I came up with in order to survive and thrive in 2021. The number, the number one is be a brave minister of the gospel. Don't hide. I promise to go back and fill these in for you. Be a brave minister of the gospel. Don't hide. Number two, you're never safer than when you're in God's presence, and you're never in more danger than when you're outside of it. And number three, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. A well-trained warrior won't fear the battle. So number one, be a brave minister of the gospel. Go to 1 Kings, if you would. 1 Kings 18, 4 through 16. 1 Kings 18, 4 through 16. This morning I'm going to be speaking to you, assuming that you're a believer in Christ. I want to make sure that you understand what it means to know Christ. I hope that you would know that. But if you don't, I'm always here at the end of the service. Jed's here. Um, great evangelist there. Uh, Brother Mark's here. Um, Charlie sitting right there. Charlie Alva. Man, we can do it in multiple languages. We can help you understand who Christ is. We've got a missionary family right here. They can do it in Spanish if you need it. Chilean Spanish. We've got Mexican Spanish, Chilean Spanish. We've got, we got, we got it covered. But do not leave here today without knowledge of who Christ is because without him, there is an eternal torment that's greater than any man can bear. So make sure that you handle that before you leave today. But for you that are saved here today, I want to show you something here in the Word. Number one, be a brave minister of the gospel. 1 Kings 8, 4. 18, verse 4. Uh, Ahab, I'm going to start at verse 3. Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. 
For so it was when Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them in 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way, Obadiah went another by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, Yes, it is. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? Remember, Obadiah is head of Ahab's household. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, he cannot find you. He will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He'll kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now I know you think that's about Elijah. But the reality is it's about Obadiah. So every nation has had its issues with their governing authorities. And the Israelite nation had a great king in King David and King Solomon. They had a couple others sprinkled along the way that were pretty good. Josiah was a good king. Hezekiah was a good king. Asa had a moment there. Manasseh had just a glimmer. But for the most part, they were pretty terrible. And on the list of terrible, the terriblest of the terrible is Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab, not as violent as Jezebel, though he's not afraid to take someone's life, an innocent person's life, but Jezebel absolutely hated the people of God. Hated them to the point that she would kill them or persecute them or eliminate them in any way she could, including the prophets that spoke of the Most High God because she was a Baal worshiper. And it interfered with her Baal worshiping uh, desires. So she attempted to have all the prophets killed, and she attempted to have all those that were followers of the Most High God killed. So, but in that era, like any era, there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. And I believe there's a remnant in this fellowship today. There's a remnant. That no matter what happens to the earth as a whole, no matter what happens to the nation as a whole, there are those that fear God and seek to keep his commandments. And in this case, that man was named Obadiah. His name means servant of the Lord. And despite this reign of terror that he's the, he's the top dog in the you know, underneath Ahab. Ahab knows he's a man of God, and Ahab actually calls out to the Lord later on in his, in his life. He still dies a sinner's death. He dies a terrible death, but not as bad as Jezebel. But the point is, is that Obadiah knows that if he says the wrong word to Ahab, he can be beheaded just like all these other guys. So he, he remains diligent. Uh, he remains faithful to the Lord. He remains doing the work of the Lord, which in this particular case is caring for the prophets. But this is just a thought. He, so he was willing to risk his life to feed the men of God or the people of God. He was willing to do whatever it takes, but he still has fear as it regards his life, but he's still willing to do it. So just, just a thought here. Is Obadiah's life worth, worth less than the men of God, the prophets that are hiding in the caves? In your opinion, is his worth is his life 
worth less? Is his life worth risking more so than those that he's feeding? The men of God had gone underground to escape persecution. Uh, to save themselves in perilous times. No longer are they doing the work, think about this, no longer are they doing the work of the men of God, but they're hiding in fear of a man. Uh, it sounds very familiar, very similar to what's going on in many nations, our nation as well. Many men of God have gotten very complacent, very fearful to speak the word of God in truth to other people for fear of offending them, for fear of being shut down, for fear of having their church closed, for fear of not being able to preach in, um, in public, for, for one fear or another, for fear of losing people from their congregation. You know, if I tell them the truth, then they may not stay. If I tell them that this thing or that thing is, is sin or is wrong, then I'm going to offend this person. He's not going to come back. And so what happens is the gospel, the truth of God gets watered down and it gets weakened where it no longer has any power. Caring only for their households, these men of God, yet they lamented the state of the nation as a whole. I can't believe our country's gotten this way. That's how we are. We care for our household. We want our children to grow up to be strong believers in the Lord. We want them to care. We want them to know God and to grow in grace and to find godly spouses. That's one thing I pray for my kids. My kids get tired of it. I pray for my kids that they'll find godly spouses, that God is preparing a man or a woman for my, my daughters, for my son, uh, for, so that they can have godly offspring so that they too can continue the lineage that came from my great-grandfather and further back, those that were believers before me and passed it down where I received Christ from the witness of some uh, relative, some person. So this group of men of God, what they did was they pulled back and got into their cave, only concerned about their own person, their own wealth, their own lives, their own experiences. You know, as long as they don't kill me, well, where's your hope? Obadiah was the only one of these prophets that had the right mindset. I'm going to be about doing the work of God. He goes to Elijah, and Elijah's like, hey, go talk to Ahab for me. Tell him I'm coming. They've been trying to kill Elijah since Moses was a kid. They've been trying to kill him for a while. They don't like Elijah because he keeps prophesying droughts. He keeps prophesying these negative things because the country has turned its back on God. And so Ahab wants to kill Elijah. And so Elijah says, go tell him. And Obadiah's like, are you kidding me? He's going to kill. I know I've seen this trick before, Jed. Just as soon as I tell somebody to come find you, you're going to get in your car and you're going to be somewhere else. You're not going to be where I told him. And then he's going to come kill me. And he's like, go do it. And Obadiah says, okay. He's got the right mindset. He's got the mindset of Esther. If I perish, I perish. He's got the mindset of the psalmist. Is there no God in Israel of David when he goes before Goliath? That's what he said. Is there no God in Israel? I'm 16 years old. You bunch of pansies are going to stand here and let that guy curse the name of our God? Give me this rock. He goes out there and takes care of it. 16. Is there no God in Israel? Does God not control our lives? Does he not care for us? Does he no longer in existence? Is there is no God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether you kill us or whether you don't, let it be known to you, O king, that do we, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. That's the mindset. God's people, not just because they're God's people, it's because they're people. And we, we like our skin. We like our life. We like our relationships. We don't want to harm those. It's all understood. But God's people tend to become less vocal 
often when persecution increases. Remember the brave Christians in World War II that took in the Jews in Germany, Poland, and all those European states? It took everything. I don't know if you ever read Corey Tinboom, but her dad was one of the most famous jewelers, one of the like top dollar jewelers. Like if you really wanted a really fine watch, this guy made your watch. And that man risked his life to hide some Jews to keep them from being killed because they were God's people because he was a Christian man. They had family worship times in their home. And when the Jews were caught in his home, he died within a week or two once they got him into custody. Corey Ten Boom spent the entire time of World War II in, um, in, in prisoner camps, in uh, concentration camps, yes. Her sister died. Her sister, a very godly woman, she died concentration camp. But what was her life worth? Was her life worth any less than those people that she was hiding? Or was it worth the same amount? Or was it worth more? I think it was very valuable myself. No matter what happens, though, Christians need to be brave when it concerns the ministries that they've been called to. They need to be Obadiahs and not hiding prophets. So step one for your New Year's challenge is be brave. Don't be a hiding prophet. Number two is you're never safer than when you're in God's presence and you're never at worse risk than when you're outside of it. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, we covered some of this. Look at Zechariah 2.5. I read this scripture a while back and in just over the past, say, three or four weeks, this, the more you read this, I promise you, if you'll go and dwell on this verse, the more you read this, the more you'll get out of it. Just keep reading it. Zechariah 2.5. There's all kinds of things going on here. I know this is largely related to, the, to the, um, the exile of the Jews and things like that. But if you're God's people, you're God's people. And so relate it to yourself as being one of God's people. And look what it says. Zechariah 2, verse 5. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I'll be the glory in her midst. Who's her? Well, in this particular case, he's talking about Jerusalem. But he's talking about his people. So make it personal. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around you, and I will be the glory in your midst. So studying on this, it struck me how crucial that this view right here is in the life of the believer. The view of this is God in your midst. Like I said, every time I read this, I get more out of it. So, so read it, dwell on it a little bit, and you'll see the same thing. But in the simplest terms, if I can cover it, God is in the midst of the life of his people. Are you one of his people? If you can answer that question, yes, I am one of God's people. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he came, he lived a sinless life, he died for me. He took on himself sins that I could not cover for myself. I've broken every one of the Ten Commandments one way or another. And I am guilty, I stand guilty before a holy God. And only when I believed in Jesus, he saved me, he put his righteousness on me, and now I can face God on that day. Until that happens, you're not one of his people. But if that has happened in your life, and you're one of his people, then figure out, you need to, you need to reckon, you need to recognize that God is in your midst. Here's how you stay in his midst. If you're one of his people, then you're in his midst. He's in your midst, I should say. His presence, his glory is in your 
midst section. He's in your midst. He's right there. He's there. It's up to you to maintain your focus on his glory and on his presence. It says not only are you in his midst or is he in your midst, but there's a wall of fire that surrounds. This wall of fire is a protective thing. Doesn't mean things can't happen to you within the wall of fire. But the world is outside the wall of fire and you are inside the wall of fire because you're in his midst. His glory, his presence. Our focus should be on his glory and on his presence. His glory is in the midst of his protective wall of fire. And the Bible says in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate you from the midst surrounded by the wall of fire? Can tribulation? No. Can distress? No. Can persecution? No. Can famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, things present, things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So if you're in his presence, if you're in his midst, there's a pretty extensive list right there that says none of those things can separate us from his love. We're so concerned with being separated from our lives that we're not concerned enough from being separated from his love. But you're in his presence. What's the absolute worst thing that could happen to you? Torture? Death? If the worst thing that can happen to you is death, the Bible says absent from the body is presence with the Lord, well then kill me. Don't play with me. Just kill me outright. I would prefer the killing outright and not the torturing thing. But if it comes down to it, just kill me. Because absent from the body is present with the Lord. I don't want to be tortured. I know you don't either. Let's avoid torture at all costs. But if that's the worst that can happen, and we have God's glory in our midst, why do we continue try to peek over the wall and see what the world's solutions are for our lives? We're really bad to do that. If you've recently come out of a worldly life, maybe a newer believer, a lot of times your tendency is to go back to the things that you used to solve your problem-solving devices from the world back in your old way, you tend to go back to those to solve your problems once you're in his presence. And you have to reject those things. A person can get in great trouble when he turns his foot from the presence and is kind of listening over the wall, seeming like they got some solutions out there, and getting back towards the wall. Worse yet is when you take your ladder and you go lean it against the wall and you're really trying to keep an eye on what's going on. Forget that stuff. Focus on the presence. Be in his presence. Allow his presence in your midst. We have God's glory there. Forget what the world's doing. The Bible says he will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. If that's the case, if my needs are provided for, then I need to kind of set aside the wants and work on the needs. We need to begin to desire him anew like we did when we were new believers. Remember that what it says? So if we don't need the world, what we really need is Christ. The Bible says that all things work together for good to them that know, that, to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Amen. So you're never 
safer than when you're doing his purpose. And I've heard this a lot. A lot of people say it. People have said it to me. I have said it myself. God, show me your purpose. What is your purpose? For me? Am I supposed to be a missionary? Am I supposed to be a doctor? No. We all know better than that. Am I supposed to be a mechanic? What am I supposed to be? Just tell me what I'm supposed to be, and I'll do that. If you'll just show me what you want me to be, then I'll do that. And he said, I already showed you. It's in the book. Those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? That you be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his purpose. Am I going to look like Jesus Christ in this form? No. It's an inside conform, uh, uh, conforming. It's not an exterior. He's going to conform into the image of his son. He's called me. He's going to justify me. He's going to glorify me. That's what the word says. It's Romans 8. Go back and dwell on Romans 8. It's what he's going to do. His image produces an internal revival, a reliving. That's what revival means, relive. A reliving in the inner man. So his indwelling, us being in his presence, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, is going to build an internal revival in us. It's going to renovate the inner man a conforming to the inner man to Christ, conforming of the inner mind to the mind of Christ. Everybody, everybody, first of the year, where do they go? We got to get the flubber off, man. We got to go get the daggum workout. We got to go get the gym membership, right? You need to get a Bible membership and get a prayer membership and get a fasting membership and get a meditation membership and conform the inner man into the man of God that God can use. A heavenly fitness program. Remember, you're completely safe in his presence and you're in mortal danger outside of his presence, particularly if you're a believer. If you're a believer and you have professed Christ as your Savior and you're going to do things your own way, you just remember that in 1 John it talks about a sin unto death. And when you profane his name and you live outside of his glory and you try to bring glory on yourself, you put yourself in danger of this sin unto death. Be in his presence, have his midst in your midst, and you're going to be fine. You're safe in his presence and in deadly danger outside of it. Number three, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. The well-trained warrior doesn't fear the battle. Go to Revelation 7. I would like to point out there, Mr. Dave, that I got three points for you, my friend. God bless you. Revelation 7. Look at verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a, Lord, a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And they shall never hunger, nor more, uh, they shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. 
For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to a living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 13 and 14 is the key. Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We don't like to talk about these things because they're terrifying. When we think about being washed in blood, it's not, uh, I'm not a horror movie guy, I never was. I, truthfully, if you had to put me on the spot, I would say Christians likely don't need to be watching those because it's the desecration of the human image of Christ. But you've got to make that decision for yourself and be judged accordingly. But know that none of us want to be covered with blood. None of us want to be tormented or martyred. But as the worlds and its systems become more corrupted, we got to know that persecution, I mean, Jesus told us, if you follow him, you will face persecution. You will face persecution. We've had it so good in our nation for so long, and we haven't had to face a lot of persecution. I'm not trying to terrify you. According to the voice of the martyrs, more people have been martyred for their faith in the last 100 or so, 120 years, than in all of time up to that point. So the as people come to know Christ, the devil's going to turn it up a notch. Persecutions are going to rise. And while we haven't seen a lot of the, of the persecuted unto death in the United States, it doesn't mean it will never happen. It's potentially it could happen. Things happen. We are seeing some persecution against people speaking the word openly and outwardly. We're seeing that now in our country. We're seeing churches being closed by will of the government and force of law and things like that. We're seeing people not allowed to preach on the streets. We're seeing people not allowed to preach in front of um, you know, sinful places, maybe uh, you know, strip clubs or abortion clinics, things like that. So we're seeing persecution of a type, but by the time of the tribulation, it's going to be worse. Why does God allow people to be persecuted? Why does God allow people to be martyred? In the sending verses of, in Acts 1.8 and in Matthew 28, we see that word, my witnesses. And that word witness is the word for martyr. And we like to, the word witnesses a lot better. It's like the word servant versus slave. I like servant better than slave. Slave denotes I have no choice in the matter, and if I go against then I'm going to get beaten. Servant means I got a choice. You know, I'll do a nice job. I'll serve you. We'll take care of you. But the Bible says that we're supposed to be slaves to Christ, not servants to Christ. That means we do his will whether we want to do his will or not. This witness word is the same word. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my martyrs. How is it that a martyr for Christ builds God's kingdom? I don't know. How does that give God glory? I don't know. You're Ask somebody older than me that knows better than me, that's been persecuted more than me. But it's just not that encouraging for the, for the new year, exactly. But all I know is that according to God's word and according to his plan, people will be martyred. And somehow that brings him glory. So if that point comes to us and we have to walk through that, we have to go back to step number two, which was be in his presence. If we're in his presence, we can pass through the flame. I'm always reminded like Fox's Book of Martyrs where that one, the one pastor, uh, they had built the fire for this poor guy to get burned at the stake, but they'd used green wood. And they, were, and they couldn't get the fire. And it was just burning the guy, but it wasn't killing the guy. And he begged them um, to, um, to put some dry wood on there and, just, and finish it already. But his people that were watching him be burned were encouraging him with the gospel and with psalms. 
They're singing to him. You're doing great. Hang in there. Maintain the faith. Remain loyal. He's like, I'm not losing my loyalty, but man, it's hot. Finish the job already. You guys can't even build a fire good. Look at you, sinners. There was others that when they were going, they said, if you can't speak, then if you raise your hands, then we'll know that God's grace is sufficient. And they poured liquid lead, molten lead down the guy's throat where he couldn't speak because he had such influence on people and bringing them to Christ. And so he raised his hands after they poured the liquid lead down his throat. How, that takes a special kind of person that knows the presence of God better than I'd say many of us know it. But the time to know his presence is now before persecution comes. All training for any kind of military, for any kind of anything, comes before the action. It's got to come before. Tragically, many Christians will fall away. Remember that in Matthew where Jesus, um, uh, Matthew, John, where Jesus said, that if those day Matthew, where the, if the days were not shortened, even the elect would fall away. So if we don't know his word, if we're not stable in his word, if we're not trained in his word, if we're not working out at the gym of Bible study and prayer and those things, if we're not working out on that, then when those times of persecution comes, we're likely to fall away. Amen. Many Christians are going to fall away, and it's going to be because of fear. Or what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to become cave prophets. I mean, I know I've got all these young kids, and everybody looks up stuff on the Internet, but you ever see all the critters that come out of caves? Cave cricket, ugly, white, and goofy looking. Bat, scary and goofy looking, and can't flash great, and eats bugs. Cave fish, blind, white, and ugly. Everything that I can think of that comes naturally out of a cave as an animal is weird looking and ugly. Don't be a cave prophet. Be a minister of the gospel. Be bold in your ministry of the gospel. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Luke 18.8 says, uh, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? It, it, you read it and you're like, is he slighting us? He's saying it's highly unlikely that there, won't, there will be very many people that have faith anymore. The persecution will be great. There will be some. I want you to be one of them. I want you to know his word. I want you to be stable in his presence. I want you to be looking towards his presence and not towards the wall that surrounds. The wall that surrounds is there. Your life is safer now than at any point ever. And I promise you, this is money in the bank, guaranteed money right here. You will absolutely will not die until it's your day, guaranteed money. And when it's your day, you can't put it off one second more. That's all she wrote. He's in charge of the whole thing. God the Father has your life in his hand, and he cares for you. So these concerns and these worries about the things that are going outside of the wall of fire that are crippling us from ministry, they need to be put aside and we need to get refocused on the one that's in our midst, his presence in our midst. First Timothy, it says, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. To be godly is to have godly traits, godly traits. So no, no, warrior, no warrior goes to battle unarmed or untrained. 
and what little training you've received here at Plant Grow Harvest, either through the teaching of one of us or through your parents, your young people, or, or however you've received it, man, we have unlimited outlets of training right now. We got Moody Radio, we got King of Kings Radio, we got, um, you know, Christian music, you know, some better than others, but we have it. Unlimited supply. We have all kinds of Christian books, but the very best book is this book right here, God's Word. And you need to get in His Word. Get yourself on a Bible reading plan for this year. Um, one, one, here's a suggestion is read five psalms a day. If you read five psalms a day, you read the whole book in a month. At the end of the month, read it again. Everything that's in the rest of God's Word is in psalms. A lot of the quotes, when you see quotes in the New Testament from Paul and from Christ, they come from psalms. Go in and read psalms. Just bear down on it. Go read the Gospels. Bear down on the Gospels. Um, Bud Frey, I know I've told many of you this, but he reads all of the Gospels once a month, year-round. There's no telling how many times. The guy's older than dirt. There's no telling how many times you've read the, the Gospels. But the thing is, when hard times come, he's got something to hang on to. Amen. You're going to need it. Put it in there now. So we have all we need to remain faithful in the battle. We have God's Word. We have the body of Christ. We have the armor of God in Ephesians. We have the repentance of 1 John 1, 9, and we have Christ. We have Christ on the cross. And without, without him, we can do nothing. And with him, we're in his hands. He takes care of everything. Training for the purpose of godliness. Knowing this, and this is a thing we don't want to dwell on, but knowing that in battles there are casualties. But it says that if you're a casualty, you get the number one spot right there by the throne in heaven. Look forward to those things. People used to preach on heaven more. They used to preach on hell more too. But I'm telling you, if we think about heaven, we look in Revelation, we think about heaven, there's some very positive things about heaven. All of it. Your existence there is very positive. Look forward to it. Quit trying to hold on to this. When you're holding on to this, you're like, you know, I could live in Donald Trump's house or I could live in that mud hut we were looking at in Africa. We're living in the mud hut. Heaven's better than anything we can imagine. And we're trying to hold on to this. So focus on training now so that when hard times come, we'll not be ashamed. I'm going to pass on this last one for you, but I'm going to tell you where it's at. It's the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, I'll just give you the, the overall story. You know it. We've, we've taught on it before, but I'm going to give it to you one more time. In the book of Nehemiah, you have God's people completely surrounded by a world that wants to see them destroyed. And when it comes down to them, comes down to the thing, they're trying to build this wall to keep the enemy at bay. And Nehemiah is going around and he's encouraging the people to carry the sword in one hand and to work with the other. In our case, the sword is the word of God and the work is the work of the ministry of the gospel. Every one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just me, not just Jed, not just Dave, not just chairman of deacons or whatever. Every one of us. Every one of us. The reason our country is in the spot it's in today is because for a long time people required the pastors to go and do the visiting or go and do the meeting or go and do the evangelism or go and do the healing or go and do the whatever. Instead of every believer, every, the rest of the believers were these you know, secret disciples like Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus where they sneak up there and take Christ off the cross but wouldn't follow him publicly. Follow him publicly now. So for us, one hand on the Word of God, one hand on the work. 
I'm going to run through those one more time for you because uh, I want you to remember them. I hope you can put them together there. Number one, be a brave minister of the gospel. Don't hide. Number two, you're never safer than when you're in God's presence and never more danger than when you're outside of it. And number three, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. A, a well-trained warrior won't fear the battle. We're going to take a time of, of communion. And I was thinking about as I was preparing that and, and thinking about communion, um, when Jesus is going to the Last Supper, if you recall, it's Passover, he's in, a, he's in a tight spot. His men are in a tight spot. They've had to run from the local authorities. They're, as a nation, they're persecuted by the Romans who control Israel and Jerusalem. They have travel restrictions. They have all these things, I mean, very similar to things that are going on. But Christ will not be stopped from doing the work of the cross. He won't be stopped from having joy. You know, Passover is very Thanksgiving-like, and it's very joyful. We'll have a Passover meal this year here. But it's a very joyful, very Thanksgiving-ish, a lot of laughing, a lot of talking. There's scripture, there's time of prayer and things like that. But there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of good food, a lot of not-so-good food, mostly good. So there's fun things going on. Jesus isn't sitting at the Last Supper table moping, he saves that for the Garden of Gethsemane when he's alone with God. And he weeps, asking God to take that cup from him. He's willing to go through whatever torment it takes to accomplish the will of God. But when he's with his men and he's in the time of persecution, they're having a joyful time together. And as long as today is called today and we can still enjoy one another's company and fellowship here, we need to do that. We need to encourage one another in the faith. We need to, it says, encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, everybody gets tired of my singing, I know. But uh, we were at a job one time, and, and I was singing some song, and, uh, and another guy started singing with me, and Jeff Fagan goes, oh, you speak Dale? So we were, <laughs> we were both completing each other's sentences with little songs, and so it was getting on his nerves. But the point is, is like, we're supposed to encourage one another with that. Let's encourage one another with that. Let's do these things. Let's be bold in our witness this year, okay? We're going to have a time of uh, silent prayer here just for a moment while we kind of reboot you guys singing and uh, bring them up, and then we'll uh, come together for communion. I want to say a, a short blessing there, and, and then we'll, we'll change over to communion there. Father, this morning, Lord, we're grateful for your word, for the word that you give us for each day. Lord, I pray that these would be convicted in spirit, Lord, to read your word and to seek your face like never before. We thank you for the year, the year that passed and your goodness to us. We're here. We're alive. We still have a purpose because we're still here. <laughs> Father, we give you all glory and honor and praise for your goodness and your care for this country. We pray for our country now, Lord. I pray for those in political power over us that they would repent while there's still time. I pray for those that would be president, whoever it is, Lord, that you would be speaking through them. Lord, I pray that the, the evil one will be, will be held at bay for a little while longer. I pray for your mercy on our nation, Lord. I pray for your mercy on this fellowship, Lord. I pray that the, the candelabra that sits here, Lord, that it will be filled with your holy oil and that you will not remove your presence from us, Lord. I pray that your presence would remain in our midst and that our focus would remain stayed upon you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray for these that are here. If one be not saved today, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation and that they would seek your face while there's still time. Again, Lord, we give you all honor, glory, and praise in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen.